So today I'm, consider, I'm continuing the If series. This is the fourth week of the If series. If, talking about the conditional promises of God. Over and over and over again in the Bible he says, If you do this, this will happen. If you do this, I'll do this. If you do this, this is the consequence. And it's laid out pretty clear. It's a roadmap for us, so we probably should get familiar with it, right? Probably help us out a lot in life. Help us to avoid some pitfalls and things. So it's been really cool to be looking at the conditional promises of God. We want to make it very clear that even though God's promises are conditional, many of them, His love for you is not conditional. And He's not wishy-washy or moody or anything like that. Our God does not change. Amen? Amen. And the verse that we look at for that is Hebrews 13.8. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we know that to be true. Which even in this looking at the ifs, that's comforting because even the consequences are consistent in his conditional um, promises. He's consistent in that as well. So we can trust that. That's pretty neat. Um, So he doesn't change. So the first week, Pastor Mike talked about probably the biggest if of all in the Bible, coming from Romans 10.9. He says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation. The biggest if in the Bible. If you believe and if you confess, then you'll be saved. Otherwise, you won't. That's a pretty big if. The most important one. And then the second week... He talked about saved. Saved from what? What is it we need to be saved from? Why is it that we need to be saved? And of course, we need to be saved from the consequences of sin, right? Uh, The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That's eternal death in hell. So the penalty for sin is death. Has anyone here not sinned ever? Of course not. Romans 3.23 tells us, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's all. So we all deserve death. That's not good, is it? But we know from the first if that Jesus came and he paid the price. And if we believe and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. There's our ticket. He writes that free ticket for us so we're saved. But Pastor Mike talked about three different types of sins that we're saved from or that we're forgiven for, that forgiveness is needed, and we can be delivered from. First of all, sins of the past, sins we've done in the past. Well, that's the easy one. That's where we accept the free gift, and they're gone. He wipes them out. As far as the east is from the west, they're gone. The second type of sin that we need to be delivered from that he talked about are sins that others commit. Because, you know, we suffer the consequences of other people's sins too, right? And people do things sometimes that hurt us. And how many times do we see people living for decades or lifetimes under the oppression of what somebody else has done for them, how they've wronged them, or the environment they've grown up in, or something, and there's lack of forgiveness, and it just eats them up, and it affects their whole life. Man, that's not good, right? So I love the analogy that Pastor Mike uses about the old whaling ships when they had the harpoon guns, and they shoot the harpoon at the whale, goes in the whale, and then there's a rope attaching the harpoon, the whale, to the ship. It's like when somebody wrongs you or does a sin against you, they shoot a harpoon, and it goes in, and it does damage. And the rope is still attaching you to them. 
And it's pulling and jerking around that heart. You can't heal up when the harpoon's getting jerked around, right? And the only way to stop that is to cut that rope by forgiving them and letting it go. You've got to cut that rope. And then the harpoon, you can start work on getting that out and getting healed from that. We've got to be delivered from the sins of others and not live under the curse of that, right? And that comes from forgiveness. And that's not letting them off the hook, because that's God's deal. He deals with justice, right? But we need to let it go. Cut that rope, then we can start to heal. That's pretty neat. The second type of sin we can be delivered from. And then the third type of sin that he talked about that we need to be delivered from are sins in the future. Because now that we're saved, we're not going to sin anymore, right? Wrong. We're human beings. Uh, And it's just inevitable. But we can be getting better, right? We can work on this. And then God will deal with something else and we can work on that and get better. And we can be getting better. It's called sanctification. The whole process of becoming more like Christ. More pure. And we can be delivered from the effects of future sins as long as we're living in line with God. Uh, and working on getting better. So, last week, Pastor Mike talked about Cain's crossroads. Remember, Cain and Abel were the first two natural-born human beings. Because uh, God created Adam and Eve, and then Cain and Abel were their first two sons. And in those days, it was before Jesus died, we had to make sacrifices to God and bring offerings before God, and God said, bring your first fruits, your best to me as offerings. And Cain and Abel brought offerings before God, and God accepted Abel's offering, but not Cain's. I don't know if he just brought the leftovers, or if it was just his attitude or what, but for whatever reason, God didn't accept Cain's offering. So what did Cain do? He got all upset and angry at his brother Abel. Instead of taking responsibility, he got upset. And the if there was, remember God called a meeting with Cain and said, Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? It's that simple. If you do what's right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not, sin is crouching at your door and desires to have you. He knew the evil that was welling up in Cain's heart and what was going to happen. And he tried to warn him. The if. If you do what's right, won't you be accepted? So why don't we just do what's right? The results will be much, much better. So instead of looking at himself and correcting his mistake, he played the blame game, got angry at his brother. Poor Eve, her first two sons, now one is dead and the other one's a murderer. Uh, Man, just look at the consequences of hardening his heart and getting angry with his brother instead of accepting what he did. So that was the first three ifs. Today, the fourth if is called the healing of our land. And it's based on 2 Chronicles 7.14. I love this verse. There's just so much to it. So let's take a look at that. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will, will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Does our land need to be healed today? Oh man, you look around and there's so much pain, so much hurting, so many people in in bad spot that need healing. Many of us right here, man, we need healing in our own private lives, right? I look around, I look at this election process going on right now, and I don't know that I've ever seen an election with so much discord and discontent and so many people going, 
there's nobody worth voting for and just so much of that and and it's just so much disagreement about what's right and what's not and yeah our nation needs to be healed our city needs to be healed individually in our lives and our families our land needs to be healed many times right our land needs to be healed what do we do follow this formula it's a perfect pattern that we're going to dig into today uh, and dig deeper into so you look at this verse the first thing I thought is okay this is God talking to Solomon about him and the children of Israel boy they must have been in a desperate situation you think right Maybe they were in the middle of a famine or something like that. God's saying, if you humble myself, yourselves before me, I'll heal your land and I'll forgive your sins. It must have been in a pretty tough spot. So I thought, well, let's go back and let's take a look and put it all in context and figure it out. Remember, King Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. And that's because God said, Solomon, I'll give you anything you ask for. What is one thing that you want? Well, he could ask for billions of tons of gold or anything in the world, but he said, God, I need wisdom to rule these people justly and fairly. Wow, that's pretty noble. So God honored that, and he gave him wisdom. He was the wisest man to ever live, and it's so cool reading the ways that he ruled and the decisions he made and the things that he did. It's just amazing. What a wise man. So God had tasked Solomon with building the temple, Solomon's temple, the greatest temple ever, this huge temple to honor God. David, actually, Solomon's father, wanted to build that temple, but God said, no, you're a man of war, there's blood on your hands, it's great, you're my warrior, Solomon's going to be a king of peace, and I'm going to have him do it instead. And so Solomon built this big temple, and that's where we pick it up. We're going to read uh, 2 Chronicles 7, 8 through 15, and, and get some context here. For this verse. So Solomon observed the festival at that time for seven days, and all Israel with him, a vast assembly, people from Lebo Hamath to Wadi of Egypt. On the eighth day, they held an assembly, for they had celebrated the dedication of the altar for seven days and the festival for seven days more. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent people to their homes, joyful and glad in their heart, for the good things the Lord had done. For David and Solomon and for his people Israel. So, does that sound like desperate times to you? They're celebrating. They just built the temple and they're having a good time and eating and drinking. Boy, they didn't sound like a desperate time to me. I, I thought that was interesting. Let's go on, verse 11. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, The Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, isn't that interesting? They're at the pinnacle and he says, Now, when I shut up the rain and send locusts and plagues to your land... Then the next verse is the one we're looking at. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Isn't that something? Why would God, they're at the pinnacle, Israel's at their pinnacle and they're going along and things are great. Why would he say this to Solomon now? And why would he say, when I shut up the heavens and send locusts and plague? Why would God do that? 
God knows human nature. He sees the future. He knows that when things are going well, the Israelites are going to tend to, well, forget about God and slide a little bit. And isn't that us? Don't we do that? When things are going really well, we don't desperately have a need for God. You don't cry out to God as much and start to slip a little bit. He knew the Israelites were going to start to maybe compromise a little bit and start marrying from tribes that were not of Israel, that were not serving God. They started marrying into families that were practicing pagan rituals and and, uh, things contrary to God's word and started to go, well, maybe that's not so bad. And they started slipping and slipping into evil ways. God knew that ahead of time they were going to do that. So this was a warning to Solomon. And as I looked at this, I kind of thought, hmm, as Good Hope Church, where are we right now? That's not necessarily Solomon's temple, but it's an addition to our building we just built. That's pretty cool. Things are going. We're growing. You wouldn't know it this morning because everyone forgot to set their clocks, but, <laughs> but we've been having record attendance and growing and going like crazy, and people are getting saved and healed and lives being changed. Oh, man, it's amazing. What a cool thing to be a part of. I think this is a time when we need to make sure we pay attention to this, just like God said to Solomon, hey, things are going good, but remember... These things. So that's why we're digging into this today. Because it kind of struck a chord with me and went, wow, we better, we better watch this. This kind of compares to us. So things are going really good. And God gives him a warning. He knows our nature. So again, when he says he's going to send pestilence and stop up rain and everything, is he just doing that to be mean? No, it's because God cannot bless sin. It just doesn't work that way. God and sin can't exist in the same place. Can light and darkness occupy the same space? It's impossible, isn't it? And God knows that. So when you start sliding and slipping away away from him and doing evil things, he can't. He wants to bless us. He wants to have us things going well, but he can't. God cannot bless sin. It's impossible. And so that's why he said this and gave this warning. So in this verse, there are four things that we need to look at that we must do to open the gates of communication with God and to allow his blessings to flow so he can heal the land. Four things. So we're going to break down uh, this verse, um, verse 14, our primary verse, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who will call, are called by my name, hey, that's us, we're called by his name, right? We're Christians. People call us Christians. Christian means Christ-like, like Christ. We're called by his name. If they will, first of all, humble themselves. So what does that mean, to humble yourself? I mean, we think we kind of know what it means, but there's misconceptions about that sometimes, too. I think we view someone who is humble as someone who's weak, or someone who says, oh, I'm but a lowly worm. Woe is me. I'm worthless. That's not humble. That's false humility. So what does humble mean? Webster's Dictionary says, having or showing a modest or lower estimate of one's own importance. Lower in dignity or importance. So lower than who or what? Lower. That means there's a hierarchy somewhere, right? And being humble puts yourself lower in that hierarchy. Well, in this case, it's talking about God. In our relationship with God, being humble puts us here, God here. 
in our attitude, in our prayer, and everything in our life. How many are pretty equal to God here? <laughs> We'd like to think so, but I tell you what, you know, and he wants to be our friend and our closest brother, which is great, but that doesn't change the fact that he's God. And until you can speak all of this into existence, the entire universe, or calm the wind and the waves, or keep the oceans at bay right where they're supposed to be, then you're not equal to God. Uh, he is incredible. He's God, and we need to really understand that he's God, we're not. That's being humble, putting ourselves in the correct position as opposed to God. And if we understand that, it changes the way we pray, it changes the way we live, right? I... Um, Years ago, I was talking to a guy who was in kind of a desperate situation. He was really praying about a situation. And he said to me, he said, I told God, man, you better come through for me on this or else. I said, wait a minute. I think you've got this backwards. You and I are here to serve God. God is not here to serve you. And man, that's a dangerous position to be when we're in that position expecting God to serve us. You better answer this prayer. Wow. God's here, I'm here, or here, or something like that. Being humble is putting yourself in the correct position in the hierarchy here and recognizing that. How about Cain? Did he humble himself? Obviously not. But think of the outcome, how it could have been so different if instead of being stuck on himself and blame, playing the blame game, blaming his brother and getting angry, what if he would have humbled himself and said... God, you're right. My offering just really wasn't what it should be. I'm going to go make it right. Wow, what a whole different outcome we would have had. And what a different outcome for his life. So we've got to be careful to humble ourselves. Number two is, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Well, that seems kind of obvious. We need to pray, right? But how do we pray effectively? And what does that mean? Here's something to remember. We have to be humble and understand our position versus God's in order to pray effectively. We have to be humble and understand our position versus God's in order to pray effectively. And Jesus gave us the perfect example of how to pray, didn't he, in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. And man, it's just amazing as you dissect that and look at the pattern of of how the Lord's Prayer is laid out. It totally fits this. It's just amazing. What's the first part of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed means holy, mighty, awesome, respected. So the first thing Jesus says when we pray is we should be humble and recognize our position. God, you are great. You are God. And honor him. So it's a perfect example for us. And then the second thing he says is, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Your will, not mine. Again, that's part of the humbling. That's the first thing we need to do when we pray, is understand our position and say, God, you're great. You are awesome. I want your will, not mine. I'm coming to you with requests, but man, you're God. You know what's best. I trust you, I love you, and I want your will to be done, not mine. And then he goes into, you know, praying for our needs. And he says before he um, gives them the example of the Lord's Prayer, he says, don't be like the pagans who babble on and on and on and on. They think they'll be heard for their many, many words or their eloquent speech. 
You know, our prayers don't have to be, we don't have to come with the, up with the most eloquent way to say something in order to convince God to answer our prayers. Uh, and we don't have to really elaborate on our needs. Jesus said, God knows what you need before you even ask. So if we come before him, humbling ourselves, lifting him up, asking, Lord, your will be done, and then give us this day our daily bread. Yeah, these are the things I'm concerned about, God, and I hope you can uh, take care of. And lead us not into temptation, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Then he goes into all that. But it's really cool how he starts out with humble yourself and get in that correct position. So then the third thing is, Humble yourself, pray, and seek my face. Well, what does that really mean? Seek my face. God wants us to know him in an intimate way. That's why he created you. He wants to have that intimate relationship with you. And since he is so incredible and awesome, and we're not, we're limited, we're human beings, it's hard to understand God, and it takes time in his presence and time seeking him to really get to know his character uh, and, and who he is, right? And that's what it's about. He really wants us to seek his face, seek to get, him, get to know him on a deeper level. Just digging in, get to know his will, get to recognize his voice. Uh, David was, God called him a man after God's own heart. And I love reading the Psalms, all the poems and songs that David wrote And in so much of it, he's seeking God. God, show me your ways. Show me who you are. Reveal yourself to me. And then what's really neat, as you read them, he'll say that, and then he'll just start pouring out attributes of God. God, you're great, you're great. And I think what that was is he's saying, God, reveal yourself to me. And then God begins to, and so he just keeps on writing. And it's God revealing to David who he is and what kind of a God he is. Man, that is really cool. And I'm going to read for you today uh, Psalm 25, verses 4 through 15. It's a little bit of a long read, but stick with it and pay attention how he's just seeking to know God, and then God begins to pour out his attributes to him. He says, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my Savior, And my hope is in you all day long. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways according to your love. Remember me for you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will spend his days in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. He starts pouring out, show me your ways, show me your ways. And then God says, hey, this is who I am, and I guide those that fear me. 
and uh, I bless the righteous and, and take care of you and anything. And that's what we need to do is seek God. So this whole pattern is laid out. Humble yourself, pray, seek my face. Matthew 6.33 tells us, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Then all these things will be added unto you. All what things? Earlier in the verse, he's talking about, you know, don't worry about what you're going to wear and how you're going to look and all this. Look at the flowers of the field and how well I take care of them and they don't toil and strive for things. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Look at the birds of the air and how I take care of them. But seek first the kingdom of God. Our first priority must be God, how can I glorify you today? How can I touch the world around me? How can I fulfill what you put me here to do? And if we're seeking his face and getting to know that, then all the rest of this stuff's going to be taken care of. He says that he'll take care of us. So it's a matter of, again, humbling ourselves and switching our priorities to seeking his will, then he'll take care of all the details. That's, that's comforting. That's good to know. That's awesome. So the fourth thing, then, humble yourself, Pray, seek my face, turn from your wicked ways. Well, that seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? But a lot of times when we're living in America and doing pretty good and we're going to church and it seems like, I mean, what sins do I need to turn from? What do I need to change? But you know, as we progress through those first three steps, and we begin to seek his face and get to know him more, as the light comes in, a light shines on all the cobwebs in the corners, doesn't it? It reveals things that you couldn't see before. And if we're allowing God to really change us, and we're really getting to know him, he's going to shine his light on some things that maybe we don't like. And we'll see some things, whether it's just our attitude, or just little things we're doing, or whatever it might be, he'll let us know things that we need to change. And as his holiness becomes more real in us, there's going to be things to change because we're not holy by nature, right? And that's how we need to then have immediate obedience. There's a book out now called Immediate Obedience that I got at one of the pastor's meetings or something. I haven't had a time to read it yet, but it sounds really good um, about how important it is to be sensitive to God, listen to his voice, and then obey immediately without hesitation and how God loves and honors that. Remember he said... To obey is better than sacrifice. Wow. So obedience really touches God's heart. So immediate obedience. God says that I need to change this. He's right. I'm not. He's God. I'm not. Let's go. Uh, Immediate obedience is, is pretty important. Then he can hear your prayers. Then he can heal your land. There's the formula. Let's take a look at uh, an example of this whole pattern that we just talked about in action. Uh, we're going to go to Jonah. Remember Jonah? God said, go to the city of Nineveh and preach to them and tell them, look, I'm going to destroy them because they're evil people. And Jonah didn't want to go because they were evil, evil people. And they were violent and mean and greedy and thieves and He's just like, I don't want to go talk to them. Are you crazy? And so even though God told him to go, remember what he did? He said, well, I'll go to Tarshish instead and, and preach to them. And he jumps on a ship. So God allowed a storm to come, and they threw him overboard. God sent a big fish or whale or whatever it was and swallowed up Jonah. Three days he was in there. 
And boy, can you imagine? I think he went through this whole process we just talked about in that three days. Probably in the first day, I would. Uh, talk about being humbled. I'm in the belly of a fish. Okay, God, you're God, I'm not. I get it. And he, I'm sure he was praying, I'm quite sure. I'm sure he was seeking God. Okay, God, what do you want me to do? And so God, he's finally then turned from his wicked ways and said, Okay, I'll go preach to him in Nineveh. And the whale spit him up on shore. And that's where we pick it up. We're going to read Jonah 3, verses 3 through 10. And watch what happens to the people of Nineveh in this whole humbling, praying, seeking God, turning from your evil ways thing as we go through this. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. What it's saying is it was a very big city. It took at least three days if you were going to see the city. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. Now, sackcloth, that's the equivalent of us saying, all right, we're going to humble ourselves before God and to show him that we are submitted and we don't want to be seen for our clothes or be flashy or anything, we all put on gunny sacks or something. That was just their way in that day of showing humility before God. Uh, They put on sackcloth. All right, verse 6 says, When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. So there it is. This evil city that had turned from God that was so bad that Jonah didn't even want to go there. Then finally he agrees to go. And what do they do? They humbled themselves. They went, oh, we're wrong. And they put on sackcloth and they cried out and prayed to God. They sought his face and they turned from their evil ways. And look what God did. He went, you know what? I'm not going to destroy Nineveh. So there's a perfect example of this whole pattern taking place. But it's interesting. You could go on to the next chapter and see how Jonah reacted. And again, that Jonah... He didn't follow this pattern. In fact, he got mad that God delivered Nineveh. He went up and sat on a hill and said, God, I knew you were gracious and you'd probably forgive him and let him off the hook. That's why I didn't want to come here in the first place. It'd be better if I was dead. Just kill me, God. Oh, he's such a drama queen. (laughs) He just goes way overboard. Just kill me, God. He should have been happy. A preacher goes to this crazy, wicked city and preaches and they all repent. Man, that's success, isn't it? But instead, he was just all caught up in himself and didn't follow the pattern, didn't humble himself before God, and God had to let him suffer some more and go through some more. So that's the patterns of life. If we submit to God and we follow this pattern, life is good, right? If we don't, if we get selfish and caught up in ourselves and don't humble ourselves and get bitter and angry at somebody else, life's not so good if 
if you humble yourself, if you pray, if you seek my face and turn from your wicked ways, I'll forgive your sin. I'll hear your prayer. I'll heal your land. Man, that's what I want. What a better way to live. And why could we not see that before we came to know God, right? Why do so many people just not see it? Uh, And so we need to pray that God will reveal it to them. So, again, does our land need healing? Yes. Does our nation need healing? Yes. Can we force everybody in America to follow this pattern and call out on God? Of course not. We can't. How about our community, our Carleton County? Uh, There was just a thing on the news again how heroin abuse is so rampant in our area and in Carleton County, uh, crimes and deaths and everything else from that is so bad. Can we force everybody in Carleton County then to follow this pattern and humble themselves and pray and then God will heal our land and everything will be good? Well, I wish we could, but we can't. How about corporately as Good Hope Church? Can we follow this pattern and do it? Probably won't have 100% cooperation, but yes, we can agree as a church that, you know what, this is God's will, this is his way, this is what he's put in here. If we do this, this is what would happen, and that's what we want to happen. So corporately, we kind of can. Praise God, and he can use that and then grow from there and affect the community uh, and around the world through missions and everything like that. So in a way, we can. But where does it all start? With me and with you. It has to be on an individual basis. We have to deal with this. We have to make sure that we're humbled before God. We have to make sure that we understand our position versus his. We've got to be praying. We've got to be seeking his face and allowing him to shine that light so that we can turn from anything that opposes him and shuts up the communication lines and just closes off his blessing. Remember, light and darkness can't exist in the same place. God cannot bless sin. As much as he loves you and wants to, he cannot bless sin. So if we follow this pattern, praise God, life is so much better. So that's my challenge to you today is just look at yourself. Look at this uh, situation. Think about how does your personal land, does your life need healing? And how can that happen? Humble yourself before God. Pray, seek his face. Turn from your wicked ways. I'm going to have the prayer teams come down now and we're going to close in prayer. God is so good. He's so good. He loves us so much that he gave us rules and regulations and laws to follow. That sounds contradictory sometimes, but he did that because he loves us and he knows the results. If you do this, man, this is great. This is how I can bless you and this is what can happen. So today as we close, I just encourage you this week too to, to seek this out and dig in deeper. Um, and as I close, these people are up here to pray with you as always. Man, if there's anything on your heart, if there's anything you don't understand or you want to talk to somebody or whatever, come up. These guys spend so much time in prayer for you uh, and for us uh, throughout the services and throughout the week. Uh, they, they know how to get a hold of God. So come on down. All right, I'm going to close in prayer here. God, I just thank you so much for your word that you lay things out for us. Some things are hard to understand, but some things aren't. Some things are pretty clear. And the ifs of your Bible seem to be something that's pretty clear that we can look at if we, if we take the time to dig in and see that 
oh, if we do this, the consequence is this. And thank you, Lord, for giving us that road map, for not just leaving us here to wander around and bump around and hope that we're doing the right thing. Uh, So, God, I pray that you take your word now and just dig it deep, deep in our hearts, God. Uh, Make it real to us. Help us to be able to apply it and to live out, live in your forgiveness and your blessing and have those lines of communication open with you, Lord. I pray for each one today as we go for safe travels as they go home or wherever we're going and, and uh, just that we'd be able to shine your light and reach out to our community and those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.